0: Listening to Talking Law, the podcast where business owners just like you discover how to avoid legal landmines and build value using smart legal tips. Join your host Joanna Oki as she cuts through the legal jargon and gives you clear and simple, actionable legal strategies which will get you optimal business results. Hi, it's Joanna Oki here, and welcome back to Talking Law a podcast proudly brought to you by our commercial legal practice, Aspect Legal. Now, today we have on the show the amazing and fabulous Claire Bibby from our very own Aspect Legal to talk today all about shitty shareholders agreements. (laughs) What not to do? Claire!
1: Welcome on board. Oh dear, I'm not sure about using the word shitty in the title, but let's go for it. Let's see where it lands.
0: (laughs) You know what? I'm sure people by now um, are not wanting out of this podcast a boring old lecture on legal stuff. So I I reckon they'll like our title here. Well, you know, shit
1: in, shit out. That's probably (laughs) all about shareholders' agreement. So um, I don't know if I'm an expert on that, but I'm going to go for it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I guess what we're doing today is we talk Talking about um, shareholders agreements and maybe what we might do is we might talk just a little bit about the reasons for them and then let's talk about some of the issues that we've seen what not to do and maybe we could even throw in a what to do perhaps we could take yep. add a bit of a positive to the end there <laughs> but let's start with why have a shareholders agreement in the first place what, yep. what are the issues that we're trying to avoid and what can happen if we don't have one in place Sure.
1: Shareholders' agreements are like the Bible of buying into an unlisted company. So buying into a listed company, you don't have a shareholder's agreement. Buying into an unlisted company, you do have a shareholder's agreement because it regulates the relationship. Think of it like a prenuptial, which most people don't have unless they're extremely rich. Um, (laughs) But a shareholder's agreement is like a prenup. You know, you're going into the relationship with your eyes wide open so do the things go pear-shaped in the future, you've got some rules and some structures as to how everything is going to be resolved. But it's not just about when the relationship breaks up. It's also about how the relationship survives and how the legal wheels of justice turn, so to speak. It's a way to protect yourself and ensure the smooth functioning of the business. Because Mm. at the end of the day, when you invest in a private company, when you invest in anything, you know, you want to know that at some stage you're either going to make a shed load of money Mm. or you're going to get your money back. And there's got to be some rules around that because not many people are just going to give over, you know, 50 grand or a hundred grand or more, you know, it can go into the millions of bucks and then just cross your fingers and hope for the best. If mm-hmm. if you did go into business like that, then there would be no legal profession and we wouldn't be here today. So, um, <laughs> you know, conflict is common yeah. and conflict is business. Yeah. So that's what you need a shareholders agreement for, how to deal with conflict.
0: Yeah, and I find fascinating, constantly fascinating, the number of businesses that we deal with that don't have shareholders oh, agreements. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and quite often that becomes apparent because they, you know, come to us as new clients and say, you know, there's an issue or they want to exit or one of the other parties want to exit. And of course, the first thing we say is, can we have a look at the shareholder agreement? Yeah. And there's just not one there. Oh man. Yeah. I was talking to a new client the other day
1: and was saying, you know, have you got this? Have you got that? No, no. Yes. And then he just kept changing his mind and I thought, oh, you poor fellow. He just didn't know what he had because he had set the business up himself. And that's so common because when people are setting up businesses as opposed to a company that's already well established and setting up a new business, you know, when you're a newbie, so to speak, the pennies are so, so important. I mean, they're Mm. important all the time, but especially so when it's a new business and you want to do things yourself. And no criticism levied at my brothers and sisters in the accounting profession, but pretty often when they're setting up a business for a client, they might buy them a shelf company and Mm. then that's it. Or Mm. the client themselves, they might buy a shelf company or they might even take the plunge and go onto the ASIC website and poke around there and fill in the forms and spend (laughs) the thousand bucks and think they've got themselves a company when all they've got pretty much is yeah, maybe some rules and not a lot more than that if you're going to go into business I'd suggest that think about getting some advice think about speaking to a lawyer think about speaking to an accountant who knows what they're doing and don't just buy stuff off the shelf and this is when I can use my shit in shit out analogy <laughs> um you know if if you don't put a lot of effort in at the beginning then you, you might find yourself in a bit of a pickle later on and a shareholders agreement joe you and i we live and breathe these things so Mm. we know it but they're a crucial part of setting up a business and your lawyers know about that and your lawyers are really the experts Mm. who should be setting up your shareholders agreements for you
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the other thing that I notice is quite often uh, businesses may have started down the process of creating a shareholder's agreement, but they are not got to the end of it because it's another regular occurrence for when we ask this question, you know, for the answer to be, no, we don't have one, or for the answer to be, ah, we spoke about that many years ago and here's something that we had drafted up for us to think about, but we just never finished it. So that's another one that's common, right? Yeah,
1: and there's a whole body of law on verbal agreements, but you don't want to go down that path. No. You you don't want to spend thousands of bucks with a law firm trying to work out if you've got a verbal or an oral agreement in place. You want to have an agreement in place and spend your money on the real issue, which is addressing whatever it is that needs to be addressed.
0: Yeah, and and once again, I I think that this is something that um maybe um is seen as quite difficult. Because it is almost like a checklist. It's a checklist of going through asking a number of questions in relation to making sure everyone's on the same page in relation to how a number of things are dealt with, which we'll speak about in a moment, like decision-making or dealing with exit or all of those sorts of things. But I guess the issue is that people just feel like it's too difficult to have to answer these questions. But I tell you, if it's difficult to answer the questions when you're all getting on... Mm. Can you imagine how much more difficult it is when you're not getting yeah, on to when you
1: all the hate questions? each other? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's visiting not... a lawyer is like visiting a dentist, most people don't want to do it. <laughs> <laughs> not our clients, not, not our, our clients, but you know, it's important to get a lawyer who not only knows what they're doing but also builds a relationship with you and has rapport and trust
0: and can explain to you why you need this 50-page yeah, document. Yeah, exactly. And can help you make decisions because there are decisions along the way, but, you you know, the, the reality is you can get guidance. So, don't feel yeah. too at sea. So, let's go back and, and just quickly touch on some of the things that we touch on in shareholders agreements sure. uh, then. Um, And and one of the first, I guess, quite obviously is about decision making, how decisions are going to be made.
1: Yeah. Well, one of the important things when you're buying, well, I mean, there's loads of important things when you're buying shares, but when you're buying shares, are you buying voting shares or are you buying non-voting shares? Because that's going to have a really important impact, obviously, on whether you have a say. Are you going to be a director or are you not going to be a director? That's really important. Are you going to be entitled to receive documentation or do you have no rights to documentation? Like This sort of stuff is really important because you're handing over usually a, a pretty substantial sum of money and whether you're going into business with venture capitalists or whether you're going into business with friends and family, you want to know what the ground rules about these basic issues are and I say basic in, in the sense not that they're simple or low-level, they're basic issues to us as lawyers because, hey, if you worked this out, you mm. want to have those basic. Fundamental. Fundamental. That's a yeah. better word. Fundamental issues sort of at the beginning because yeah. you don't want to find you've gone and given John next door 50 grand to go and buy a John's mowing business and you own 50% of it, but then your next door neighbor goes off with your money and you have no right to make any decisions, no right to receive any information. And you've really just got to hope that one day John might come back and give you not only your original investment back, but some profit, which would be pretty awesome as well. So don't leave it to chance, set out the ground rules. And lawyers are the people that read the inside of the Monopoly box. That's what we are. We are the people that read the inside of the Monopoly box and we are the people that are going to know the rules and help you set them out because, trust me, you do not want to read the inside of the Monopoly box.
0: That's a quote. i tell you what, I have never heard that before. But, um, yeah, you're right. I do. Anyway, yeah, listen, we. <laughs> leaving that to the side. That's why no one wants to play Monopoly with us. For right? another podcast. <laughs> and uh, just one comment that I have um, on the directorship side. So this uh, this question about you know will you or won't you be be a director? It's also about whether or not you have the right to the appointment um, of a director as well, which yeah. is um, you you know sometimes a completely overlooked consideration. And one you know I've had clients in the past who who really don't want to hold directorships for for very good reasons. Yep. But having the right to the appointment of yeah. a directorship is just something that's super important. I guess to think about whether you want built into that right for yourself.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And some people, as you say, they may not for whatever reason want to be appointed a director, but having the right to appoint somebody as a director, I mean, you may know somebody who's really experienced and who you trust who can go on this board for you Mm. and can independently see what's going on and help you make the decisions on what's happening with your money, what's happening with the business, what's going on. You don't want to just give your money away, friends, and then hope that something's going to come back one day. You want to have yeah. some rules in
0: place. Yeah, brilliant. Okay, all right. So, so we've talked about many things. So, where are we up to next? What else should we be considering? Yep. um The inclusion of in a shareholders agreement.
1: Well, I I like an investing into a company like getting married. You know, it's a long term relationship. So you've yeah. got your prenup. And one of the things you've got to work out is what happens if I've had enough of this relationship? I want to get divorced. I want to sell my shares. How hard is it going to be for me to sell my shares? Leaving aside the fact of um, unlisted companies are, of their very nature, illiquid, how hard is it, though, going to be for me to sell the shares? What happens if my next-door neighbour decides They want to buy me out. Can I just sell to them? Mm. What happens if one of the other shareholders, though, maybe somebody wants to buy their shares and I want to tag along on that deal? Yeah. Or I want to be dragged along on somebody else's deal. You know exactly where I'm going here because I'm using the buzzwords. You know, (laughs) stuff like preemptive rights. Mm. How hard is it going to be for me to sell my shares? Because if you think about it, if you're in business with, say, three of your best mates and you're the fourth and you want to sell out, They may not want a complete stranger coming into their company and they may want to have the first right to buy your shares Mm -hmm. themselves. That is extremely common. And there are lots of different ways that you can document those sorts of deals and work out, well, how much do they have to offer you for those shares? Do you have Mm -hmm. to go off and hire an accountant? Does it have to be based on the last three years EBITDA, something like that? Like there's loads of different ways you can cut and slice and dice this sort of stuff. So, knowing what the rules are when you want to leave and sell your shares, that I would say is one of those top headline fundamental issues that your lawyer wants to cover for you in your shareholders agreement.
0: I completely agree. Of course, I completely agree, Claire, but I do (laughs) completely agree. I just find that this is the key issue when we have clients Coming to us, who are looking to um, exit their shareholding um, in an entity when the the when there might be other shareholders continuing, or indeed if the um, shoe is on the other foot, you you know the other shareholders or one other shareholder is looking to leave. This issue of exit and how that can work is one of those things that comes up and again and again and again where organisations don't have a shareholders agreement in place. And it's really hard to navigate. It can be really hard to navigate, particularly if the relationship is strained at that point, which it often is when one, not the others, are looking to exit.
1: Totally. And think about it as well from the perspective of what stage of your life are you in? If you are close to retirement and you don't want to have a hands-on Role, or you really going to need some cash quickly um, in the next few years because you want to invest it? Then you want to make sure that you can actually get out of the company and get out at a reasonable amount. You know, you don't want to mm-hmm. have invested a hundred thousand and then find you can only get twenty bucks back. I mean, that yeah. that's a very unrealistic mm-hmm. example, but it, it emphasises. No, I mean it's
0: no, it certainly happened. Yeah, but you no. know, we,
1: you know, we also one thing, two things that we can always be sure of in life are death and taxes. As they say. Mm. And what happens if you are to pass away and your spouse is left with these shares and they need to sell them? You know, they're going to have to know what's in these documents or at least find out what's in these documents. And you don't want them to be screwed over by people because shit, to use the term again, can happen. And you want to make sure that your lawyer has protected you and protected the broader interests that you have because an investment in a company is a long-term investment and it may actually survive you so as as your lawyers we will think about that sort of stuff you won't think about it probably but we will think about that sort of stuff and try and protect you and your broader interests
0: and give you direction in relation to what's usual in terms of totally. dealing with these issues yep. Um, absolutely. That can be another thing, you know. I see a lot of confusion often in terms of, you know, thinking through the risks, but then not being sure about how to deal with it. Don't let yourself get confused, you know, because um, there, there are some simple ways to deal with all of this. It's just
1: really oh, hard. absolutely. And you know, one thing I say to lots of people, and I also say this to young lawyers as well: we are not brain surgeons. We're just people who are really awesome with words and structuring deals. If you do the sort of law that you and I do, Mm. Joe. And so don't try and navigate this self because you wouldn't operate on yourself if you had to have an operation. You know, you might go and do Dr. Google, but, you know, if you're doing something that involves a lot of money or a lot of risk or is really important to you, don't cut corners if you don't have to. Get yourself a lawyer who knows their stuff.
0: Yeah. And actually, it's a really interesting point because a lot of what we're talking about here perhaps might be perceived to be uh, directed towards people who've not had a lot of experience with these types of agreements before. But uh, do you know it's exactly the same with uh, really experienced investors and the importance of still getting that constant cross check yeah. on um, agreements? Because I've seen a lot. Of very experienced and sophisticated investors who've done this many, many times before, sometimes miss some of these detail because they've seen it so often before. So it's it, your, the comment that you make, I think, is a comment across the board. Yeah. Um. You know, irrespective of sophistication of, uh, you know, the, the number of these types of deals that have been done.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, imagine it from another context as well is say you invested in a company because of the entrepreneur who's in the CEO ship. What if they pass away? What if they sell their shares? What if somebody else moves into that seat? You're not thinking about this sort of stuff, but might you want to possibly get out if it's not still the person who you invested your money in? Because quite often you are investing in the personality. What if they're Mm -hmm. not there anymore? You Mm -hmm. know, you may want to get out. And you you want to know at that point in time that you've got a really clear exit mechanism that is not only clear but is fair, and that's what we do. We create those fair, clear mechanisms for you.
0: Brilliant. Okay, wonderful. So, do you think we've missed anything out? Well, we've missed a hell of a lot out, but (laughs) we could talk for hours, my friend. (laughs) We couldn't we i mean shareholders agreements are one of those things that are of such critical importance that not being funny we could actually talk probably for hours Ooh. about it <laughs> but yeah. i'm sure you the listener don't want to sit there listening to us for hours or well, maybe you do and if you do let us know and we'll uh, <laughs> we'll do another few podcasts in the area but just before we leave i guess what what are are there any sort of high level other areas that that we haven't really touched on yet Do you think?
1: Um, The other thing that I would say that we've talked about conflict being common, but what we haven't talked about is dispute resolution tools. Mm, mm. And um, what I mean by that is what happens if you do have a Barney with your other shareholders? And I've got that very example now with a client where he's one of three directors. He's asking for paperwork and he's just getting blanked. Mm. And there's nothing he can do because the agreement doesn't say anything and he doesn't have any rights under the Corporations Act that I can point him to. Mm. So you don't want to always be, now you're going to find this a bit strange, listeners, you don't always want to be running to a lawyer and going to court. You know, sometimes (laughs) you might want to use um, alternative dispute resolution mechanisms like mediation or at least have a clause that says before you end up in court you've got to try mediation first because mediation has a really great success rate if you use the right type of mediator. And there are lots of professional organisations out there. And when we recommend dispute resolution clauses to our clients, we know about all of this sort of stuff. Mm. So we'll actually say to you in, in the majority of cases, you don't want to run to court, first of all. You want to try and explore other ways to settle not only from a cost perspective, but also from a time perspective and a reputation perspective. Because at the end of the day, if you've got two lawyers facing each other at 30 paces, the chance of your relationship still being intact at the end is pretty limited. And we don't want to do that to our clients. We want to try and keep things as amicable as possible for them. But, you know, accept that sometimes things aren't going to go really well but at least let us give you those sorts of clauses so that you've got a chance of still keeping this relationship together if that's what you want. We'll give you options.
0: Yeah, that is such a good point. That is such a good point. And and I guess it helps, you know, and perhaps that will help us have the point of rounding out the conversation here that um, shareholders' agreements are giving you the opportunity to set the parameters of this relationship um, yeah. that you're embarking on together or may have embarked on you know, 10 or 20 years ago if you're coming to this a little bit late. But it's never too late to put it in never, place. Never you know, too late. If You've not got it in place and you've got an existing organisation with other shareholders at the moment and you haven't got one in place or you can't remember where it is and you can't <laughs> find it because that's Also highly unuseful, you know, even if you think you signed one one day, but no one can actually find it, which happens. It's super important that there's that fabulous saying, Claire, hopefully you'll know it, that, you know, right at the beginning of the business was the perfect time, but the second perfect time is right now to do all of these things. You know? <laughs> I didn't know that one, but I'm going to keep that one. Uh, it's a, it's a, I think I've adapted some sort of, uh, you know, monk's saying about life more. But anyway, whatever, you know, very true for legal documents. But you had a nice disclaimer there that you added. I like
1: that. Very good. Tick of <laughs> approval.
0: But, um, so, you f- you've not got it in place, it, well, hopefully isn't too late. One of those things that, uh, you know, we we recommend to our clients to undertake regular, you know, and at least annual reviews of their organisation where they think about the adequacy of the legal framework and foundations that they have in place for where their business is at the moment. And one of those is checking on your shareholder's agreements or any of the other agreements that govern your relationship in relation to structure and your relationship with your your other uh, partners in a business, make sure it's in place, number one. And if it's not in place, get it there, but also review it, you know, um, because things can change. And I think it's really important that, you know, you don't have to go through it word for word, but I think it's really important just to have a brief review of this every now and again at specific, you know, points in time to make sure it continues to represent the business as it is now. Totally. Absolutely agree with that. Great. Okay. Do you have any other rounding out thoughts there, Claire?
1: Look, it's not a mandatory doc, Joe. Um, what I mean by that is you don't have to have a shareholders agreement. It's just like when you get married, you don't have to have a prenup, but we're here to help. It, look, from our point of view, they're very important documents. We'd rather sort stuff out for you early yeah. Then later on down the track, when your relationship has gone pear-shaped, we can try and fix it for you when it's gone pear-shaped, but it's better if we can get in early, as you say, when everybody likes each other. But again, it's got to be a quality document yeah. because you want to make sure that your rights are protected. And it doesn't have to be a 50-page document. I made that comment earlier. Um, they usually do go for about thirty or forty pages. I have to say, it doesn't have to be really, really complicated, but it does need to deal with the fundamental issues. And we can help you and advise you on those fundamental issues. That's the sort of stuff we love doing, and we also love reading the inside of a monopoly box.
0: <laughs> claire what a fabulous way to leave this we might have to throw in a few uh pictures of monopoly boxes there was awesome. our listeners <laughs> very good
1: bags uh, bags banker i love being banker when i play monopoly <laughs>
0: <laughs> i love it oh claire thank you so much for joining us on the podcast pleasure today. And that's it for this episode of Talking Law, where we talked all about shareholders' agreements. Now, if you'd like more information about this topic, head over to our website at www.talkinglaw.com.au, where you will be able to download a transcript of this episode if you're the kind of person who likes to read these transcripts in finer detail. There, you'll also be able to find details of how to contact Claire and our other legal eagles at Aspect Legal if you or your clients would like to discuss any aspects of shareholders' agreements. And that's it. If you enjoyed what you heard today, then please pop over to iTunes and leave us a review. And of course, don't forget to hit subscribe on your podcast player so we can be delivered to your phone each time we release. Thanks again for listening in. You've been listening to Joanna Oki and Talking Law, a podcast proudly brought to you by our commercial legal practice, Aspect Legal. See you next time.